Uh, I actually have a title for this message this morning. I was going to title it uh, Truth Decay. But I thought about it, and I think we're almost beyond that point. So I've I put a title to it, When Truth Dies. When Truth Dies. If you would turn with me to John chapter 18, we're going to look at a pretty famous encounter Jesus had with Pilate. And we're going to start off by just looking at two verses. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, starting at verse 36 and 38. John 18, 36 through 38. And this is when Jesus was before Pilate. And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then in verse 38, we're just going to look at the first reply of Pilate. He said, what is truth? What is truth? In these scriptures, we see two responses about truth. The first, coming from Jesus, is a bold and sure statement. For this reason, I was born, and for this reason, I came into this world to testify to the truth. And the second, coming from Pilate, with a hint of sarcasm and confusion, Pilate asked, what is truth? What is truth? I think a lot... Many in today's society are in the camp with Pilate. When you talk about truth, it takes on many definitions. Very relative, what is true for you is not true for me. And it just becomes pretty much a solid bowl of words. It's no secret that there is a battle for truth that is raging and has been going on a very long time. We see it being played out in the Garden of Eden. And it has been raging ever since. I'm going to be asking two questions this morning in relation to truth. Number one, the first one, what happens in a society when truth is twisted, perverted, or just eliminated from the conversation? Number two, and I think this is probably even the most important question we're going to look at this morning. What happens in the church when this takes place? Before we can get started to answer these questions, we need a definition of truth. And man, if you ever want to go on a journey, Google what is truth and see what you come up with. You, come up, you go from one extreme to the other. But what I found 
The simplest definition that I really liked, it came from a grace to you site. And it simply gives a definition. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind of God, the will and character and glory of God. Truth is the self-expression of God. And, of course, we're looking at a biblical definition of truth. With this definition, we see truth introduced into mankind in two ways, two main ways. The first one being in the person of Jesus Christ, coming into this world, taking on the flesh, taking on the nature, born of a virgin of mankind. And we're going to look at a few verses that he, what he speaks about himself and about truth. But before we even go there, in the person of Jesus Christ, I would say what gives Jesus the right to say any true statements? What separates him from any other teacher, any other philosopher, or any other religion that has been started by an individual? And I would say what separates and gives Jesus the right is the resurrection. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ separated him from everyone else. Muhammad, Buddha, whatever religion was started from a man, you trace it back to the source of who started it, and you will find their bones in the grave. But when you go back to the tomb, the one who claimed to be the truth, you won't find no bones, you won't find no body. So when Jesus rose from the dead, it validated that he had the absolute authority to establish and to say what is truth. I've had people tell me, you're so narrow-minded. I'm only the messenger. Jesus is the one that made the claims that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he validated through the resurrection. So your battle is not with me. Your battle is with him. You have to start your own journey as I started my own journey in the way of looking for truth. And under scrutiny, honest scrutiny, and investigation, I believe if you're open-hearted and open-minded, if you're really looking for truth, truth will reveal itself to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And the second, the second way truth is introduced into mankind is in God's word revealed through Scripture. God's word revealed through Scripture. In Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, let's go ahead and turn there. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
it's interesting you, if you do a I just did a quick glance. I don't even know how many times truth is referred to or the topic of truth in the Gospels, but there's a whole lot. So when you see something talked about over and over and over and over to the extreme, I think you're probably close to over 100 times truth is referred to in the Gospels. seems like that maybe Jesus was really trying to drive home a point about how important truth is. And we're going to see how important it is shortly. But it says he's full of grace and truth. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He taught the way of truth. He was full of truth. He taught the way of truth. And then if you just go right on over to John chapter 14, verse 6, one I've already mentioned, but Jesus answered and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we see, and this is just a few. There's so many more when dealing with Jesus and truth. So many scriptures dealing with that topic. But he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's full of grace, full of truth, taught the truth, said he is the truth. And then we look at God's word. John chapter 17, verse 17. If you want to flip over there real quick. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is is truth. So the Bible itself establishes God's word as truth. And then, of course, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us about the place of Scripture in our life and how important it is in teaching and correcting and rebuking and building up so that we could do God's will. So Jesus Christ in the word of God gives us a standard in which to weigh truth claims against. It gives us a standard to weigh truth claims. And there's lots of truth claims today. Everybody has their own truth. But how does that truth hold up against the person of Christ who we've already said validated that he is the truth through his resurrection and the word of God. We all, all of us, even as believers, everything that we process in our mind and we think is true, we always have to test it in light of truth of the word of God. That's what keeps us going down the right path. That's what keeps us in truth. I love a scripture in Psalms that says, In your light we see light. When we're in God's light, when we're in his truth, we have the capability to see and discern truth. When we're in God's word and we're being discipled by his word, then we have the ability to Recognize counterfeits. 
Somebody told me one time, I don't know, maybe it was you, Tom, but somebody told me that the way uh, people recognize counterfeit bills is getting to know the real one. Getting so familiar with a real one that anything that, that comes along that's not real, you'll recognize it. You'll have a feel for it. You'll see it. It's not trying to study the counterfeit, but it's studying the real McCoy, and that's how you recognize. You know, I think that same principle plays as we get, as we get grounded in the truth and the person of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. We get so familiar with the Word of God. We get so familiar with walking in intimacy with Christ, that when a counterfeit comes along, we recognize it. When somebody, somebody comes along and tries to tell you something or lead you astray, we instantly know that it's a counterfeit. Seems so simple, doesn't it? But we're going to find out shortly the church is failing miserably at this point. So we have a standard to which to weigh truth against. Now, the first question I want to go to, what happens when truth starts to die in a society? With that, I want us to turn, I want to start off in John chapter 8, verse 42. John chapter 8, verse 42 This is an encounter that Jesus is, is having with those that are constantly attacking him, and Pharisees, Sadducees, and so on. I'm going to start at verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. I wanted to start with this before we go into the first question because it really gives us an insight to the battle for truth. And the first thing I think we need to understand for the battle of truth, we have to get past the surface. We're not out as representing truth trying to win an argument. We're not trying to walk away like I won that argument. It's much more than that. And when we see these scriptures here and you see how Jesus talks about the devil and he is the father of lies, we go beyond the surface and we get back behind the scenes into the spiritual. This is the same thing that was playing out in the Garden of Eden. We see playing out here and we see playing out now. The enemy wants to destroy. He seeks, he comes to destroy. And how does he do it? He comes by perverting. It's the same bag of tricks that we've seen in the garden. It's the same thing that's happening today. He has to pervert truth. And it's a ferocious, ferocious battle that's raging right now. 
And if we think we're just com confronting somebody to win an argument or this or that, it's way beyond that. What we are literally doing is we are in a battle for the souls of man. Because it's not just if we win this argument or, or we lose this argument. There's too much at stake. And I think in this portion of Scripture we see that. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. It's his native language. And then he goes straight to the jugular vein. He is your father. That's why you can't hear. When somebody cannot receive the word of God, we need to recognize what we're battling with. There is a spiritual war to keep this individual that you are sharing with, to keep him blind, to keep her blind. And the end result is that that person dies without Christ. That's the battle that is raging. Every conversation we have when somebody is representing the truth that we know to be a lie, that person has been deceived. And there's a whole lot, a whole lot at stake for that person. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. This is... Uh, I keep coming back to these portions of Scripture so much, but I think it's because it's so easily being played out before our eyes today. But this is kind of an indictment against mankind as a whole. But we're going in, what happens to a society... When truth dies, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, uh, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds and animals and reptiles." What happens when truth is removed from the conversation, twisted? What are we seeing in society today when truth is twisted or just completely rejected? Number one, some of the greatest minds of today tell us that we live in a completely purposeless university, a universe. It's all a chance. It all just happened. It was just a big Bang, big chance, big whatever, right? Carl Sagan, I think, we're nothing but stardust. That's all we are. So if we live in a world that happened by chance, it just happened to form, it just happened to came out of nothing, there's no purpose behind it, what is that, how's that, what does that mean for us? Then we have no purpose. We're only fooling ourselves. We're just a bunch of star, uh, stardust. There's no purpose. 
There's no meaning to life. That's what's being taught by some of the greatest minds of today. So what happens if you believe that lie? That life has no purpose. Life means nothing. Then I would ask, why in the world are we shocked when we see a society start to come apart at the seams? Why are we shocked when we see mass killings in schools and we see all the violence that's happening? If we're nothing more than a bunch of dust, there's no meaning to life. If there's no meaning to life, if we're nothing, then there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no good, there's no evil. Then why are we shocked by what we see today? From that first comes the second. If there's no meaning in life, if there's nothing in life, life is devalued. What happens when life is devalued? What happens when life has no meaning? Then it's easy to justify 63 million aborted babies in this nation. 63 million. Because life has no value. Because a lie was swallowed. It's just a piece of flesh. It's just a fetus. It's just to that. That used to be the argument. But now you can abort a baby right up in nine months. We know it's not just a fetus or a plump of flesh. We know it's a baby, but yet that child could be aborted. Why? Because it's the fruit of the philosophies and the lies that have been swallowed in this world. When lie and truth is done away with, we define definitions, take on a whole new meaning. We define what is a male and what is a female. Did you ever believe in your whole life that we would ever be asking this question? Ever. Someone just was nominated to the Supreme Court that could not give an answer to what is a woman. At last count, and these are not fringe sites. These are medical sites. These are supposedly very credited sites. At last count, there's at least six different sexes and 72 different genders. Lord, help us. What happens to a society? You have a break, complete breakdown of the family. No, fa- no, no nation will stand with a family unit being broken. It's inevitable. And that's where we're headed. So many single-parent families today. We know for a fact that's a huge driving for poverty. But nobody wants to talk about it. A breakdown of family. So it's easy to pick on society. Kind of low fruit hanging right now. But now I want to get to the most important. And believe me, I think this one is even more critical than the first one. What happens to the church when truth is perverted, twisted, just reject it. Second 
Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, basically sums it up by saying, men will not put up with sound doctrine. More and more we're going to see where sound doctrine is not accepted. That they will seek out teachers that will itch their ears, let them be comfortable in their sin, create theologies that will give them peace about how they live, basically. How many know the Word of God is challenging? Have you ever been challenged? Have you ever argued because you wanted something so bad, but man, it just isn't lining up with Scripture, or it's just, you're just having a a battle with God. It might not even be no big sin, but man, it's a battle that's raging. I have many times. But more and more, people are wanting to go somewhere where there won't be no battle. They, They don't want to be confronted. More and more people, they don't want to go to church because they might be confronted or they might, they might get challenged in what their lifestyle or their belief system. I'm going to go over a survey conducted by Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University where they surveyed 2,000 adults, 18 or older, that attend for, the, for these denominations of churches, evangelical Pentecostal or Charismatic, Mainline Protestant, and Catholic. Now, what we're going to look at, these are going to, I'm going to read some things that people do not agree with. It does not mean that this is part of the doctrine of that church or that denomination, but this is the actual people that were surveyed that go to church on a regular basis. In these denominations. These are examples of Christian beliefs that differ from biblical teaching. And honestly, I think I did this a few years back, and since I did it today, I was shocked. So the percentage is those who reject this biblical teaching. The first one, people are not basically good. We are all sinners. Kind of a basic biblical concept, right? Evangelicals, 75% of evangelicals reject that. Pentecostals, 76% reject that. Mainline Protestant 81% reject it. Catholics, 84% reject it. Now, again, these are regular churchgoers that sit in the church. It's not necessarily the doctrines of the church, but these are people that are sitting in these churches. Which faith you embrace matters as much or more than simply having some faith. 62% evangelicals, Rejected. 71% rejected. 76 Protestant rejected. 84 Catholic rejected. 
The Holy Spirit is not just a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity, but is a real influential being, part of the Trinity. 58% of evangelicals reject that. 66 Pentecostal, 73 Protestant, 74 Catholic reject that. Success is consistent. Uh, success is consistent obedience to God. 53 reject, 48, 77, 84. There are absolute moral truth that apply to everyone all the time. 52% reject it, 69% reject it, 58% reject it, 69% reject it. There's no absolute truths that apply to everybody. People cannot, people cannot earn a place in heaven by being good or by doing enough good works. 58% reject it, 49, 61. Catholics are high on this one, I think, because they're really work-related, but 85% reject that. History is the story of God's plan for humanity moving forward to fulfillment. 44, 59, 79, 76 reject. Bible has no say so and does it does, does does not address the abortion issue whatsoever in any form or fashion 44 49 62 58% reject that when Jesus Christ was on earth he was fully human listen at this one when Jesus Christ was on earth he was fully human but he did not sin Jesus was sinless 43% reject that of evangelicals 44% Pentecostals, 59-66, and the Catholics reject that. The, pri the Bible is the primary source of moral guidance, 44-38-71-77, reject that. God is the base, is, God is the basis of all truth, 28% reject 30-63-57. And last, the Bible is the word of God, is trustworthy and reliable. 26 of evangelicals surveyed reject that. 32% of Pentecostals reject that. 63 mainline Protestants reject that. 53% of Catholics rejected that. I want to read you something that uh, was written by Dr. George Barno, Director of Research Cultural Center. It was released in October. October 6, 2020. He says, The spiritual landscape of America is being reshaped, and it represents a post-Christian reformation driven by people seeking to retain a Christian identity. Unfortunately, American culture is driving the theology of this reformation rather than biblical truth. Unfortunately, the American culture is driving the theology of this movement and not biblical truth. I can tell by some of your looks you're as shocked as I am. Francis Schaeffer believed that there was a correlation between the decay of a society and liberal theology. He said, once the church started to compromise in the theology, the doctrines, the historical doctrines, biblical doctrines, and started allowing the, the liberal theology to come in, there's a direct connection with the society starting to take a downturn. I don't know. Didn't study it, but I have a lot of respect for Francis Schaeffer. 
but it seems that it is backed by Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to read 13 through 16. This is Jesus' words. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So we see that Jesus plan for the church, for the body, for the believers, is to be a light unto the world of truth. We are to be a light. We are to be a beacon that points to God, that points to Jesus Christ. Our lives should be a, a signpost that points to truth in the person of Jesus Christ, God, the Word of God. If we are being, and when I say we, I mean it as a whole. If the body is being compromised at such a level that we see this morning, where they don't even know what they believe or the truth has been perverted, that light is dimming quickly. That light is not only dimming, it's being extinguished. We look around and we see the confusion. I can, we can look in the world and we can point fingers and we can say, man, society's jacked up. Go, oh, yeah, of course. That's the fruit of compromised truth and the rejecting of truth. That's what you're going to get. But when you look at the church and you start to see the twisted theology and the doctrine that people are accepting That's where the problem is. The problem is not inflation or or President Biden. And don't send me no hate mail. I'm not a Biden fan. But we have to look at ourselves as believers, as as, as what Jesus says we're supposed to be to this world, or we are supposed to be a light. When confusion comes our way, we are supposed to be the voice of soundness. And truth pointing the way. But I'm afraid outside of just the perversion of believers, many times don't even know what they believe. They've been intimidated to be quiet. You get labeled. Man, there's a war raging. There is a war raging. And if you speak a truth, you might be labeled today. That's how that goes. And once you're labeled, man, they're trying to, listen, when you get labeled, what's happening is they're trying to kill the conversation because they know they don't have the winning conversation. They're trying to kill it. And the best way to kill it is just to label you. We cannot cow back in this day and age. We cannot start to be silent at the time that we're living in in this nation. 
We have to be courageous in our faith. We have to be willing to stand up and, and speak truth no matter what the consequences are. Because, again, what is at stake here? It's not just trying to win an argument, but it's the souls of men and women. This is all going to wind down. This earth is going to, this is all going to end. This is, fix your eyes upon the eternal and not the temporal, Paul says. This is all going to wind down and come to an end. And what's going to go into the eternity of what we've done for the glory of God? That's all that's going to carry with us. And what are we going to carry with us? I love Philippians. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And I'm getting ready to wind it down right now. As soon as I find it. It is in the New Testament, right? Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Listen to this. I love this. Therefore, my dear friends, if you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may, I love this right here, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Isn't that beautiful? We are called to be the beacon in this world. We are called to be the ones that shine. And the more darkness seems to reign, the brighter our light should be. Sometimes I have to remind myself what's at stake. It's so easy to get sidetracked. We live in such a fast-paced society. So many things are happening. Jobs, careers, schools, everything. Just running full blast. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, man. You ever wake up and you think about your day and you just want to roll back over and go back to bed because you got like 27 things you got to get done today? But sometimes I think we've got to stop and remember, what is it about? we got to remember what it's about. We are called to be a light. There is a battle raging. I pray every day, God, give me a courageous faith. Don't let me step back. Don't let me fall back. Don't let me be silent. Give me the courage that no matter what the consequences, help me to stand firm in truth and love because there's too much at stake. 